What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Is the Lord among us or not? screamed the people. Is he here? Does he care? Is is he working for us? The people were complaining to Moses. And the people were so angry. Some of them picked up rocks and maybe threw little pebbles at him. Or, or maybe threw a big rock at him. Enough that later on Moses is going to say, They're trying to stone me. That's how angry they are, Lord. What am I to do? What am I to do? The people are arguing and complaining is the Lord among us or not? Now, how could they say that? What is causing them to say that? Remember, they just saw the miracle of the Red Sea crossing. They, they're they being fed every day with bread falling from heaven, right? They're being fed with manna every day. They're seeing God in a pillar of cloud during the day and a, and a pillar of fire at night. How can they ask, is the Lord among us or not? What in the world is happening? Well, today's story, we're going to hear the story of Israel doubting God. Israel, in many ways, later on, the book of Deuteronomy says they, they tested God, you know? And they caused God great grief. And they caused God great, great anguish because of the way they doubted him. But it was also what we're seeing today in this story, a test of God. He's again trying to test his people. He's trying to get at their heart. What does their heart look like? And again, he, it's looking pretty bad. So here the people are going to be testing God which they shouldn't be doing, but at the same time, God is testing them, which he should be doing. Well, this test, people come out screaming, and they are so upset at the Lord. They are so upset at Yahweh. They are so upset at Moses that they even doubt God's among them. I don't know how they can say that. What's the problem? Where are they at? Well, they're at a place called Rephidim. 
And here, it's about, I want to say, 40 days since they left the Red Sea crossing. It's a number of days since then, and they've been through various stations. Remember, two million people are moving from where they crossed the Red Sea, and eventually they're going to end up at Mount Sinai. Well, it's going to take them about 44, 45 days to get to Mount Sinai. And here, where they're at, Rephidim is pretty much where Mount Sinai is. It's practically there. And along the way, they've hit various stations. Remember one station... They couldn't find any water to drink. Remember another station? They were running out of food, and God miraculously turned the water sweet. Remember by throwing the branch in? And then he's providing manna that they can eat. And then he provided quail at night for one night. As much meat as they would want. But he's providing them bread every day through the manna. I mean, this is a God who is taking care of his people as he moves them towards Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. Well, here at Rephidim, the problem is this. What is freaking the people out is there is no water. And that's interesting. God brought them here and he brought them to a place. They were following God's will. They should be where they should be. They weren't out of God's will by being here. They were following the Lord and God brought them to a place where there is no water? Where there's nothing to drink here? I mean, why would God lead them to this place where there's nothing to drink? Why wouldn't God lead them from oasis to oasis, beautiful pool to beautiful pool, taking care of their every need along the way? Why would God bring them to a place of testing? Well, he did. I think the reason he did that, right, is because he wants to see what's inside the people's heart. He wants to strengthen their faith. He wants to make their faith stronger. He wants them, Israel, to trust in him, whether good or bad. During the good times, it's easy to trust, right? But what happens when God leads you somewhere and it turns out bad? And you honestly believe it was God's will for me to go there. It was God's will for me to leave this job and to go to this other job. And when I got there, all of a sudden this other job dried up or this other job did not seem what it was going to be. Or or maybe, you know, you move from one school to another or you just followed the Lord. But when you followed the Lord, it turned out not glorious. Man, those times are when you really wonder, what is God doing? What is God thinking? Is God around? And we're just like the people of Israel, right? We go, where is the Lord? Is the Lord among us? Man, I hope today's story helps us to not be like the people of Israel. Because remember, the Bible says these stories were written so that we might learn from them. And one thing we can learn is don't doubt God just because the circumstances are hard. Because if you know the Lord is your Savior, he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can take that to the bank. But many of us, including me, at the smallest hint of trouble, where's God? I can't believe he's brought me here. Oh, this is terrible. We're just like the people of Israel who should have stopped and thought about all the ways God has taken care of them, all the ways that God has just watched over them. 
But the minute they hit this trouble, I mean, it's big trouble, right? They can't drink. And they're worried about their cattle. This place later becomes known as Meribah and Massa. Massa means testing. And Meribah means arguing or quarreling or contention and strife. This is the place where God tested them, and sadly they tested God, and where there was much quarreling and striving and arguing and contention. Because when they came to Moses, Moses basically said, you're not trusting in God. It's not me that you're doubting. It's God that you're doubting. Now, here's the question. Why couldn't the people of Israel drink? Number one, did God literally bring them to a place with no water? I don't know. Or or was there another reason why they couldn't drink? And we're going to get to that in a second. But for now, they're picking up stones. They're ready to stone Moses. They are that angry. And Moses basically tells them, you are not doubting me. You are testing God, which should not be. You are testing the Lord. That's basically what Moses says in Exodus 17, verse 2. Why are you testing or doubting God? Why? Why? This is why it's called Meribah and Massa. Why are you arguing with God? Why don't you just trust him? He's taking care of you over and over again. Just trust him. Just trust him. But the people were furious. So Moses calms the people down says, you know what, I'm going to go talk to the one person who knows what to do. I am going to go talk to God. So Moses goes off and talks to God. And he basically asks God, what should I do with these people? Moses is hurt, I think, in many ways as the leader. You know, you don't trust me, you don't trust God. I mean, the people complained to Moses, why did you ever bring us out from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again, they're talking about how, why didn't you leave us back in Egypt, the way of the wine, remember? Why didn't you leave us back in Egypt? It was so much better. Why'd you bring us out here in the middle of the desert to die 40 days later? Man. That's got to hurt as a leader. I'm not that way. God isn't leading that way. And you're about ready to kill me, God. What do I do? And then Moses says, I want you to do this. I want you to pick up that rod. That rod that you got. Remember at the burning bush? I want you to take that rod. Remember that rod that you struck the Nile with and that was raised up and caused certain plagues? You know, I want you to take that rod, that staff that represents me in many ways. I want you to take that rod, that staff. And I want you to go on ahead of the people a little ways. And then I want you to go stand in front of the rock at Horeb. And then I want you to hit that rock and when you hit it guess what Moses water will come gushing out of the rock I wonder what Moses thought of that wow Yahweh is a God of miracles isn't he he parted the Red Sea he causes bread to arrive every morning 
And now we're going to see water out of a rock? Now, it's interesting, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says the rock was following the people of Israel. And I don't know exactly what Paul meant by that, but is this a rock that sort of followed them around? And, you know, God knew at a certain moment, I'm going to have to hit this rock to give the people water because they're going to complain. So I'm having this rock follow. You know, it says the rock at Horeb. No, I think this was just a rock in the mountain. I mean, that whole passage in 1 Corinthians is something else to be discussed later. But I do think it's interesting that God said, I could just all of a sudden pour water from the sky. I could just cause it to rain. No, God said, I'm going to do something miraculous. I'm going to do something amazing. And whether it was hitting a rock that followed them in the desert or going up to Mount Horeb and just hitting a rock jutting out from the mountain, that's what I think he did. Well, Moses walks up to this rock and the people are following. Probably it says, the Bible says, he took some of the elders of Israel. So I don't know if all two million followed because that would be a large group watching you. But at least the elders are coming and probably the people who are curious. And there's this massive amount of people surrounding this rock. And here Moses takes his staff, his rod, which again to the people represents, I think in many ways, Yahweh, his presence. He takes this rod, this staff, he swings back and whack, he hits the rock. Now, would you just like tap it? Because I don't know, God told you to do it. Well, but would you, or would you do like a big baseball swing? Smack, you know, I'd probably do a big baseball swing. Smack, make it more dramatic, you know, bang. And then all of a sudden, out of the rock flowed water. And there the water flowed out of the rock. And the people were able to drink. And it was enough to feed all the cattle. This must have been a gushing amount of water. River level, you know. This couldn't have been a small amount of water. And there, you know, just water flows out. I can imagine people running up to it, getting a drink because they hadn't drank for a while. And then later on, the water keeps flowing. And then they bring up their cattle. And then the family starts putting it in their water containers and taking it back for the people to drink. God provided for them again. It was beautiful to see. And he did it in a miraculous way. How he got water out of a rock. You know, I don't know, maybe he used natural means. Maybe God directed him to a place where he knew there was a spring. But I think there was a miraculous, amazing, out of a solid rock, God just sends gushing amounts of water. And that's what I want to encourage you with. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the discouragements, the, the things that make you afraid. But I just want to say our God is a God of miracles. And instead of starting to whine, you know, the way of the whine. <laughs> this isn't fair. I'm just complaining. No. We've got to learn the way of faith. Tell him your need. Describe to him what your problem is, and then let's see how the Lord provides. 
And I prayed something miraculous, like like the water coming out of a rock. That must have solidified the people's faith, I would think, for years. Sadly, it didn't. But you'd think it would have, you know, seeing water coming out of a rock. And I just pray that the Lord provides for you in a miraculous way. Now, here's the question I asked earlier. Why would God lead him to a place where there was no water? Well, I wonder if God led them to Rephidim where there was an oasis. But here's the deal. I think there was a people already there. And it was a people who were not going to let the people of Israel drink. And I think they kept the people of Israel back. And they were mad at the people of Israel. And they wanted them to thirst and die out. You know who those people were? Well, the Bible calls them the Amalek or the Amalekites. And it's interesting that the Amaleks as a tribe were, were first encountered in Genesis 36, 11 through 12. Essentially, Amalek was a grandson of Esau. And therefore, you know, Esau was a brother to Jacob, and so they were in the same family, so to speak. And they would have known about Jacob and his offspring. But it seems like the Amalekites, they did not like Jacob's offspring. They did not want these Jewish people to show up. Why? Because they were in the land. This was their well. This was their land. And some people think that the Amalekites, they can be traced back to some pretty weird, dangerous people that sort of showed up from the Nephilim in Genesis 6 and that these people were related to some giant clans. Genesis 14, 5 through 7, and Deuteronomy chapter 2, 10 through 20, and 10 through 12 seems to indicate, again, these people were connected with giant clans who were offspring of the Nephilim, a mix of um, demonic and human intermarriage. It's bad, bad origins. That's ultimately the big thing here. I don't think the Amalekites were just some average group of people just hanging out there no number one they were related through esau but then number two i think these people were evil and when the jewish people showed up i think part of their job was to reclaim the land for yahweh to reclaim the land for the lord these Amalekites represent the people that had occupied the land while the people were gone, right? Remember, they were there under Jacob, and then they went into Egypt for food, and then they stayed there 400 plus years, and now they're coming back. And the Amalekites, they were descendants of people who worshipped the gods of Babylon and the gods of, of other countries, and, and they worshipped anything but Yahweh. And these people stood in opposition to the God Yahweh. So I think what you see here are the Amalekites. They didn't want the people of Israel to drink because they had other plans. They wanted to wipe the Jewish people out. 
And I think their God had other plans. He was standing in defiance to Yahweh. But Moses shows up with the people of God, his chosen people. And part of their job was to begin to push these evil tribes out. Well, the Amalekites, they knew, they knew they were in trouble. And I think they knew what their plans were, which was to push back. So they wouldn't let the people drink. But then on top of that, what they did is, it says in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 18, that Amalek, they attacked the Jewish people from the rear. When they were tired and weary, remember, they didn't have a lot to drink. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 25, Amalek attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at the rear. Maybe they were starting to drink, you know, and they were moving on and the, the people were happy and they were going to move on to Mount Sinai. Well, all of a sudden, Amalek shows up. But I also think this battle was meant all along. God wanted his people to push these evil other God-serving tribes out of the area. But at the same time, this was a, a sneak attack by the Amalekites. This was a sneak attack by your own sort of distant cousins attacking you from the rear to get the rear stragglers. You know, that, that's like stabbing you in the back. Well, when they began to attack, Moses turned and he said to his second-in-command, Joshua, You've got to select some men for us, and you have got to go fight. You've got to go fight. Maybe they're starting to kill some of their people around the back of this two million march. They notice some people are missing, and Moses says, you got to go fight the Amalekites. They are dirty, rotten cheaters. They're trying to kill us, and we've got to wipe them out. Then tomorrow, Moses says, I'm going to go stand on top of that hill over there, and I'm going to hold God's staff in my hand. That's what I'm going to do. So they go to sleep because it's really hard to fight at night if you don't have any electricity to light up the battlefield or big, huge torches. I don't know. They go to sleep. The next day, the Amalekites come out to fight, and Joshua, he's ready. He's got his army, and he's selected the best swordsmen, the best bow users, you know, the people who can shoot arrows the best, and rah, they go in to fight the Amalekites, and they begin to fight. And Moses, he takes Aaron, his brother, and he takes his other guy named Hur, H-U-R, and they go to the top of this hill. And so he can look down on the battle that's happening. Well, remember, he's got the rod of God in his hand, the staff of the Lord. Well, he holds it up in the air, Go fight. Well, Moses begins to notice that every time he holds the rod of God up in the air, man, you can look down on the battlefield and the left flank seems to do better. And then he drops his rod a little bit because it gets hard to hold your hand up. And then, oh no, that left flank is being pushed back again. Then he raises his hand. Yes, go for it, Joshua. And then the right flank does better or the middle flank does better. Every time he held the staff of the Lord, the staff of God up in his hand, the army under Joshua prevailed. But he noticed every time he dropped it, they didn't prevail. So he's like, I got to hold this up. So he holds it up and he holds it up for 30 minutes. Man, that would be hard. You know, can you imagine the strain on your neck there? And 
Maybe he's up for 45 and his hand's starting to, to wobble. So Aaron and her are like, we've got to do something. So they lead him over to this big boulder and then they sit him down on it. And they say, hey, sit down, Moses, sit down. I guess my arm is killing me. He's passing the rod back and forth. He's passing the staff. Maybe he holds it up with both hands. His arms are starting to shake. So Aaron grabs one arm and her grabs the other arm. And they shove his arms up and they hold his arms while Moses hangs on to that staff. And it says that because of that, sitting on a rock with his hands in the air, with Aaron holding one arm up, her holding the other, they held this position until the sun went down. And by the time the sun went down, Joshua took his final sword and whack, killed the final Amalekite. And Moses is like, thank goodness, drops his arm and oh. Aaron immediately begins giving him a shoulder. That must have been hard. <laughs> oh my goodness, I can't imagine an eight-hour battle or longer, and he's got to hold that rod up. But the key here is that rod represents Yahweh. And as long as Yahweh is lifted up and glorified, guess what? We're going to win that battle. Well, later on in the camp... God comes to Moses. He says, I want you to write this down on a scroll. As a reminder, put the Amalekites to death. Totally blot them out under heaven is what it says. I want you to totally blot them out. What they did was evil, attacking you from behind like that. And not only that, they represent a group of people who are defiant to Yahweh, and I want to wipe them out. Later on, in the time of David, King Saul, in 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 7, he continues this fight against Amalek. And he grabs the king of the Amalekites, and God says, I want you to wipe out these Amalekites to honor this thing. I said all the way back during the time of Moses, well, Saul does, except he leaves the king alive, and that, of course, led to Saul's downfall, and his failure to obey God in this matter basically led to Saul losing the throne. But the Amalekites, they eventually are blotted out. It takes the people a while because they're not that good at obedience. And it seems like all the way future under King Hezekiah, that the people of the Amalekites were finally wiped out. These were evil people. These were bad people who did a bad thing. And God said, I want you to remember that we are going to wipe these people out. So then Moses builds an altar on top of the hill. Because he wants to honor God. And he names that altar, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nissi. God is my banner. And ultimately what that means is that God wants us to lift his name high. 
Remember that rod from the moment Moses got it represented the presence of Yahweh. And here he says, I want to be your banner. Moses said, I'm going to march under your banner. I'm going to fight under your banner. We all have favorite sports teams, right? And so you have their symbols on your chest. Or you might even have a flag flying from your car or your house representing your favorite sports teams. That, that's your banner. You're saying, I'm under that banner. I fight for that team. I cheer for that team. We fight under the banner of the United States of America, that flag. That's our banner. Well, Moses is saying, we don't have a flag. God is our banner. Psalm 60, verse 4. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Isaiah 11, verse 10. And in that day there shall be root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. The banner that we have today is Jesus. The banner that we stand under today is the name of Jesus Christ. He's that root of Jesse. He is our Yahweh Nissi today. And when we face tough times, we can trust that he is our banner. And then it's also interesting, later on, remember we talked about water coming out of the rock? Well, to celebrate that whole thing, God said, I want you to have this Feast of Tabernacles to celebrate this rock giving forth water. Well, later on in the times of Jesus, during that Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Later on, Jesus connects himself directly to this miracle of water coming out of the rock. And now we can see that Jesus is our banner, the rod that we hold up. Remember, Yahweh said, if you want to come to me, you've got to come through my son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh through the Father, but through me. It is beautiful how the story is reflected in the life of Jesus. And I just want to ask you, is God your banner? Are you going to rally under that banner? Or are you going to hide off in the corner? Keep my Christianity quiet. I don't want too many people to know. Are you going to go up on a hill, plant your flag, and hold up that staff and rod and say, God is my banner, Yahweh Nissi, Jesus is my banner, Jesus is my rock giving me water, spiritual water that gives me life. When I face tough times, instead of following the way of the wine, I will follow the way of faith by making Jesus my banner and planting that flag and rallying under him and trusting him to provide all my needs and to take care of me. What a wonderful God we serve. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com baldheadbible.
Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.